0: God's not mad at you, but the devil is. God's not mad at you, but the devil is. If you are God's child, and you have been adopted into his family by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, then God's not mad at you. Whew! That'll take a load off, won't it? If you're not in Christ then you need to reckon with God because He is angry at your sin. We'll talk more about that as we go along. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and He has accomplished our redemption. He forgives us and he covers us with his righteousness and he provides for our every need. And now, because of what Jesus did for us, now the Bible tells us God is rejoicing over us with singing. Can you believe that? Wow, the Lord has Joy over us. When the Lord looks at you, Christian, he says, there's my little boy. There's my baby girl. Joy er just erupts from the heart of God when he looks at you. Can you believe that? The Lord has joy over us. Now, let's think about us for a moment. Us. Spectacularly unfaithful us. Us. He has joy over us. Wow. God is not mad at you, Christian. He loves you even without you trying to get better. You can't make him like you more. So stop it. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you without caution. He loves you without regret. He loves you without boundaries. He loves you without limits. No matter what you do, He can't stop loving you. Deal with it, okay? But some of you don't believe that today. And I understand it because I struggle to believe God's love for me because I know my heart. I know what's in there. I struggle to believe God's out-of-this-world promises. Sometimes God's kids live with this low-grade sense that God is ticked at them. We think He's mad at us, as if we're always letting Him down, as if He's just throwing His arms up in the air and saying, as if He's always frustrated, always upset with us. We sometimes think that He rolls His eyes in disgust at us. We may even think that he doesn't even like us. Well, guess what? If you're thinking that way this morning, I'm going to burst your bubble right at the beginning of this sermon. You're wrong. You're dead wrong. Deal with it. God actually rejoices over you. He delights in you. He's God, and he can do what he wants to do, and he delights in you. So deal with it and believe. And he does it all because of Jesus. You are his beloved now. That's your identity. But the devil, on the other hand, well now, that is a different story. The devil, he hates you. I mean, really hates you. He's mad at you. You really bother him. Sometimes I think we forget that the devil is real. He's not some figment of culture's imagination. He doesn't wear a red suit and carry a pitchfork either. He's far more scarier than that, far more scarier. He is the God of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air, and he does not like you one bit You may think that you're a likable person, but let me tell you that your charismatic, sanguine, outgoing personality does not work on the devil at all. He can't stand you. And if you are a Christian, and you are in union with Christ, and if you love Jesus, and you love the gospel, then the devil hates your guts. So it should come as no surprise that The gospel, the good news that we cherish so much, is like nails on a chalkboard to Satan. He hates the gospel. He loves to hate the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the one thing that opens the eyes that he has blinded. The gospel disarms Satan and shoves Christ's victory on the cross in his face. So understand this. When the gospel is preached, when you rehearse the good news of God's love, it's like Jesus takes Satan by the scruff of the neck and grabs him by the hair and shoves his face into his victory. Jesus shoves the face of the devil into his triumphant victory over sin, death, and the grave every single time we preach the gospel to ourselves. Think about that. Every time you rehearse the gospel and you tell yourself, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, every time you do that, Jesus takes the devil by the hair of his head and shoves his face into his victory picture that. Now, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4. In today's passage, we're going to get a reminder that we are in a spiritual battle, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against other people. We wrestle against spiritual forces We will be reminded today that Satan hates the neon gospel of the glory of Christ and that he will stop at nothing to see it dimmed in your life and in mine. The devil wants nothing more than to see you become content with being dulled to and bored with the things of God. So let's resist him with this sermon what do you say let's resist the devil and scripture tells us he will flee from us let's resist him over the next 30 minutes or so so second corinthians chapter 4 look at verse 3 hear the word of the lord and even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, if you recall from last week, we saw Paul preached and spoke the truth without gimmicks in his preaching, no stunts in the pulpit, no games, no sauce. He preached a straight, undiluted gospel But even though Paul preached a straight, undiluted gospel with no sauce on it, that does not mean that every person who hears it will be regenerated and made alive by the Holy Spirit. Just because someone hears the gospel doesn't mean that they will be regenerated so that they can repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ. The reason a no-sauce, straight-up gospel with no frills and no glitter doesn't save every person who hears it is because people are spiritually blind. They're blinded by the devil. They can't see. They're in Adam because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. They are in Adam. They're lost. They are blind. Like Paul said back in chapter three, there is a veil over their eyes. They cannot see the light of God's glory, and they have no desire to see it they're lost they have been blinded by Satan the God of this world the devil's number one strategy is to keep people from seeing the light of the gospel he wakes up passionate about this the devil woke up this morning if you will and said "All right, yes I get to do what I love to do today his to do list has one thing on it keep people from seeing the light of the gospel He woke up this morning. He didn't need coffee. He was ready to go. I get to keep people from seeing the light of the gospel today. Oh, it's a glorious day. That's it. That's his one agenda. Now, of course, the devil does all kinds of wicked things in this world. But this is priority number one. When other demons ask Satan, what are your plans for the weekend, devil? He says, just going to keep people from seeing the light of the gospel. That's about it. And I might get on Facebook and Twitter because there's always some good drama happening there. Man, I love me some social media drama. The devil loves keeping people from seeing the light of the glory of Christ. Listen, if the main strategy of the kingdom of darkness is to keep unbelievers in the dark about the gospel of glory and grace, why would we think the devil would choose some other tactic for us? The church, the people of God. Let me say it again. If the main strategy of the kingdom of darkness is to keep unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel, why would we think that the devil would choose some other tactic for us? If you get nothing out of this sermon, get this the devil hates it when you hear the gospel. He hates it when the warm light of the gospel comes and unthaws your cold, frozen heart. The devil hates it when you come to church and get excited about Jesus. He doesn't want you to hear good news. He wants to convince you that you can survive on a watered-down version of the gospel. He wants to convince you that you can survive on a watered-down version of God's word. He'll live with that. He's okay with that. The devil will live with a lukewarm version of you. He doesn't have to have you strung out on crack. Okay, He'll be content if you're just lukewarm and kind of bored with the things of God. He wants to convince you that you don't need the gospel every week at church because he hates the gospel. Speaking about this in his commentary on Galatians, Martin Luther said, For the devil cannot but furiously impugn this doctrine, justification by faith. Neither can he rest so long as any spark of it remaineth. For by the preaching of it, the gospel, the devil is overthrown, his kingdom destroyed. The law, sin, and death are wrested out of his hands. His prisoners are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and liberty. This is why the devil doesn't want you to hear the gospel and bask in its warm sunlight because he knows you'll walk in freedom and he doesn't want that at all. It's also why he doesn't want you to share the love of Jesus with your neighbors and your co-workers and your family members and your fellow students because he knows the power of the gospel. Remember, we're in a spiritual battle. We forget this sometimes. We're not wrestling against people. We're not fighting against people on other political sides of the aisle. We're we're wrestling against forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. We are in a spiritual battle. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. So don't start praying for your loved ones and your kids and this church and this city and our nation and the world. Pray that God would open the eyes of people here in our city. Now, I've told you this before, but it bears repeating often so that we don't lose sight of our calling as individual disciples and as a church. According to the Barna Group, the Central Coast is ranked number two in the U.S. of never-churched people. There's a list of cities with the highest number of never-churched people. That's never, People who have never been to church once. So, in all the cities in the U.S., the Central Coast, from Santa Barbara up to Slo, were ranked number two. Sixteen percent of the people here on the Central Coast have never been to church once. So, we are a mission field. We have the highest number of people who have never been to church once. The second highest in all of America. Think about that. There are more never-churched, spiritually blind people here on the Central Coast than there are in New York. 16% have never been to church once. I mean, let that sink in. That's roughly 115,000 people. That's sobering. Now, let me share one more truth with you. We're also ranked number nine on the top post-Christian cities in America, there are eight spots up northeast around New York. In those places, no surprise there. There's one in the northwest, and then there's us here on the central coast. And so we have a very unique opportunity to share Jesus with. Over half of our population, 54%, are post Christian. That means they don't have a biblical framework. They don't have a a biblical worldview. They don't know who Adam and Eve are. If you go and share the gospel and you start talking about Adam and Eve, they might say, Are they your parents? Who are these people? They have no idea who Jesus is. They don't know the Bible. They're blind. They can't see God's glory. They don't even know God's glory exists. And Jesus put you here in this very unique mission field in America. It's a very unique mission field we're in right here right now. He put you here. He put me here so so that we could tell them the good news. That God loves sinners. That he really does love them. Jesus placed you here on this mission field as a missionary. And that means that God has sovereignly placed you in your specific neighborhood and in your specific workplace so that you can share Jesus with the people that you run into. The baristas at the Starbucks that you go to are there so you can tell them about Jesus. The cashier at the grocery store that you frequent, if you're not ringing yourself up, by the way, they're there so you can tell them about Jesus. Your coworkers, your neighbors. God has placed you where you are to reach the people where you are. And the devil does not want you to do anything about these statistics at all. In fact, the devil hates everyone in this city. Doesn't matter if they're a Christian or not, he hates everyone in this city. He hates your neighbors, he hates your coworkers, he hates you. And he wants to dull you and me to these statistics about the Central Coast. Why? Because the devil knows that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Do we? He wants to dull us to this information. I mean, what do most people think of when they think of the Central Coast? The weather. Oh the weather's so great here, right? What if we started changing our thinking into the thing that's most important and unique about the Central Coast is that over half of our population doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know God, has no theological framework whatsoever. A devil knows the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The question is, do we know that? Now, you might be surprised at what happens when you share the gospel with people. I've told you before, I shared the gospel with a a man, a cashier at Walmart once, and said, hey, I'd like to invite you to my church. And he just let out this like guttural laugh, like, (laughs) ha, 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 right in the middle of Walmart. And I'm checking out, I'm like, okay, this is weird, you know. And he's like, no, thanks. And then about six months later, he came walking in right here. And he he was involved here for about six months or so. He's never know what the Lord's going to do. People are blind and dead in sin, but you never know what they may be thinking in their minds about God. You might share Jesus with them and tell them that God is loving and kind and merciful and willing to forgive their sins, and they might reply, I always knew that there must be a God out there like the one you described. Maybe they're sitting there thinking, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Or they might say, I don't believe that the things you described are true or that the merciful, kind God that you described is real. And then you can reply, but don't you wish that you did? Don't you wish that you did believe in a merciful, kind God? This is the message that we want to take to our city. We want to share the good news of the merciful, kind Jesus of the Bible. Now, I've told you all this several times through the years, but it's worth sharing again since we're talking about evangelism. When you share the gospel of God's grace and glory and love with others, you might hear things like this. Well, the church is just full of hypocrites. And you know what you tell them when they tell you that the church is full of hypocrites? You tell them, no, it's not full. There's room for one more. You want to join us? Let's not forget our top priority here sharing the gospel making disciple making disciples and when you do you leave the results with the holy spirit because only the holy spirit can lift the veil and open blind eyes all we're called to do is share it he'll do the rest all right look at verse 3 again and even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Notice that phrase, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This is one of the most remarkable ways to describe the good news. Paul is saying that God's glory is a light. We saw that several weeks ago in Exodus 32 33, 34, and in 2 Corinthians 3, how Moses had to put a veil over his face to keep Israel from staring at the glory of God that was reflecting and bouncing off his face. And so God's glory emits a light. And Satan does not want us to see this light. Why? The reason the devil does not want anyone to see the light Of God's glory is because Paul says here it's the light of the gospel the light of good news and the good news is that God's not mad at us that God offers amnesty to rebels right now and Satan knows that the gospel is what liberates people it unshackles the chains that he has put them in and they can walk out in freedom free from prison. He knows that hearing the good news sets people free. It frees lost people from the shackles of sin and death, and it sets believers free from the darkness of sin in their own hearts. The gospel is what will cause us to walk in liberty. It will free us from when we find ourselves, you know, kind of under that cloud of condemnation and guilt and shame. It's the thing that reminds us that we've been set free. And this is why Satan doesn't want you to come to church and worship. This is why he will try to persuade you to sleep in. This is why he doesn't want you to read your Bible. The devil, the God of this world, will go to extraordinary lengths to keep you from God's word. Let me say that again. The devil not wearing a red suit with a pitchfork. He's far scarier than that. The devil will go to extraordinary lengths to keep you and me from reading God's word. And he also will do everything he can to keep us from praying. Did you know that the devil doesn't want you to come to our prayer meetings on Sunday and Wednesday? The devil is mad at you because you belong to Christ, but he'll be even more mad if you come to one of our prayer meetings. So if you want to make the devil mad, if you ever think, you know, I just want to make the devil mad today, we'll come to one of our prayer meetings. Uh, We have three now, starting today at four o'clock, on Sundays at four o'clock, you can meet in front of the education building, and there's a group of people who will walk the church property and pray. If you want to do that, or you can come back at 530 and we'll be in the chapel in the education building. And you can join us as we pray for our church and city and nation and world. Or you can come at Wednesday night at 6 p.m. in the chapel in the education building to pray. All you got to do is just show up and pray and say, God, have mercy. God, help us. God, help us. The devil does not want you showing up to any of our prayer meetings. And listen, no shame or guilt if you don't show up If you want to stay at home and pray during those times or another time, that's fine. I just want to remind you that he will go to great lengths to keep you from praying. He wants to dull you to the power and the importance of prayer. He wants to dull you to the power, what gets accomplished when God's people pray, and the importance of it. Why? Well, there's many reasons why. But for you personally, he knows that you will leave a prayer meeting encouraged. Listen, every prayer meeting that I, didn't, that I didn't want to go to because I was tired, I left and felt so encouraged. You'll leave with a bigger view of God's kingdom. You'll leave having your a heart to see your neighbors and coworkers and the nations come to know and love Jesus. And the devil doesn't want that happening in your life at all. When you pray, It's like nails on a chalkboard to Satan. Listen, if our gospel is veiled, as Paul says here, and people are blind, then that should lead us to prayer. It's the only way they're ever going to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So we should gather to pray for our city, and we should engage them and have conversations with them where we can tell them, hey, God's not mad at you, but the devil is. But don't be misled here, okay? Because I know what you may be thinking. Don't misunderstand. We tell our city, as I'm telling you right now, that if they have not repented of their sins and their rebellion against God, then they need to fear God because God is far scarier than the devil. He's holy. He's omnipotent. He dwells in white-hot glory. So there is, in one sense... Where we do have to tell unbelievers, God is mad at you. His anger is kindled against you because of your sin and rebellion. But you can escape his anger and wrath by running to Jesus. Now, maybe you're a person here who doesn't like the idea of God being angry. You may push back at that idea that God is angry at sin. But Tim Keller says this. So it makes no sense to say, I don't want a wrathful God. I want a loving God. If God is loving and good, he must be angry at evil. Angry enough to do something about it. Consider this also. If you don't believe in a God of wrath, you have no idea of your value. Here's what I mean. A God without wrath has no need to go to the cross and suffer incredible agony and die in order to save you. Picture on the left, a God who pays nothing in order to love you. And picture on the right, the God of the Bible, who, because he's angry at evil, must go to the cross, absorb the debt, pay the ransom, and suffer immense torment. How valuable are you to the God of the Bible? Valuable enough that he would go to these depths for you. Your conception of God's love and of your value in his sight will only be as big as your understanding of his wrath. And so the bad news is that God is angry with you because of your sin, if you're not a Christian. And so your conception of God's love and of your value in his sight will only be as big as your understanding of his wrath. Yes, he loves you. Oh, how he loves you. That's why he sent his son. He went to incredible lengths to save you. That's how valuable you are as his creation. But you were born a sinner and you have rebelled against him and you have to give account for that. And if you don't turn to Jesus in faith, then you will stand before God one day and you will give account. And without Jesus, you can't stand before God and be justified. And all that awaits you is eternal punishment in hell forever. And I don't want that for any of you. And you can avoid that today by running to Jesus, by looking to Jesus. Maybe you haven't done that yet. Will you do that today? Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Why not leave today knowing that God's not mad at you, but actually rejoices over you? Why not come home today? Don't you wish that you did believe in a merciful Kind God, come home to the God who loves you, who gave his son for you. Trust in his son and be adopted into his forever family. All you have to do is simply open the empty hands of faith. You bring nothing but your sin. Perhaps you'll do that right now. You open the empty hands of faith and believe. You look to Jesus and believe. And you say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Look at verse 3 again. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Notice that Paul says there at the end that Jesus is the image of God. He is the radiance. He is the brightness of the glory of God. That means that Jesus takes all the guesswork out of it. We don't have to speculate about what God is like. We don't have to guess, try to come up with an idea. You know, We don't have to sit around twiddling our thumbs and crossing our fingers and saying, I hope God is good. I hope He's kind. I hope He's loving and merciful. I hope He's better than we imagined Him. We don't have to sit around like that. All the mystery is removed in one sense in the Incarnation. Because Jesus has made known to us what God is like. He is the image of God, the image of the eternal God. So if you see Jesus, then you see God because Jesus is God. So there's no guessing, no hoping, no fingers crossed, no wishful thinking. Jesus has revealed exactly who God is. He is the exact imprint of God the Father. And what is God the Father like? He's love. He's merciful. He's gracious. Jesus reveals to us the glory of God. He radiates the glory of God. And that means that if you make Jesus less than God, then you make the gospel less than good. Okay, understand that. If Jesus is not God, then the gospel is not good news. And if Jesus is not God, then we cannot be forgiven. So that little phrase there at the end of verse 4 is very important. Who is the image of God? You might want to underline that. That phrase there deserves a highlight in your Bible. Jesus is God. And that means He knows the truth about all of us. He knows everything that we have ever done. Every word that has ever come out of our mouth, every thought that we have ever had, the motives, oh, think about that. He knows the motives behind every thought, word, and deed. His light shining forth, His glory penetrates through what we try to hide. His light exposes us. Does that make you scared? don't be. If you're a Christian, don't be. Because he loves us anyway. He sees everything in our life. Things that nobody else can see, things that nobody else knows. And Jesus looks at us, says, I love him anyway. There's never ever blindness in his love. He sees it all. He really knows the truth about us because he's God. And yet he loves us anyway. His light can see all the darkest corners of our hearts. His light can travel through the the front door, up the stairs, up to the second story, up into the attic, down into the far corner in that box where you have that thing hidden in shame and secrecy that nobody knows about. And His light and His glory travels all the way to that, opens the lid and says, I love them anyway. That's the glory of the gospel. He knows everything about us, and he loves us anyway, and that's the message that the Central Coast desperately needs to hear. Steve Brown said this, I can understand a God who kicks the world to pieces. I can understand a sovereign God who is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, Self-sufficient, eternal, immutable, infinite, holy, and righteous. I can understand the God of lightning and thunder. What I cannot understand is God becoming man and hanging on a cross in my place. The cross of Christ is a surprise. Sometimes I see my sin and am hesitant to come to God, fully expecting to have to face His wrath. Instead, He hugs me. And I can't believe it. I still can't believe it. God isn't angry at his people. God is your father. That is the promise. Listen, he loves you. That's the promise. Deal with it. Tell somebody. Tell them, I've done a lot of bad things in my life. A lot. Tell them, I've done so many bad things in my life that if you knew some of them, you wouldn't want to be my friend anymore. I've done so many bad things, but God still loves me. Don't you wish you believed in a God like that? And then you tell them, you know what? Doesn't matter what you think. God loves you. God's going to do what God's going to do. And God loves you. Deal with it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're so loving and kind to sinners. Uh, It's so hard for us to receive your love sometimes because we know our sin. So we want to run and hide, and yet the light of your glory just penetrates through all of our masks, penetrates through our hypocrisy, penetrates through all those places where we've hidden things, hoping no one knows them, and yet you still love us. Who will love us like you do? No one. Would you let that truth get down into the nooks and crannies of our hearts so that we go share it with people here on the Central Coast so we can call them to believe in the God who loves them. Open the blind eyes, we pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.